0: Thank you, team, and good morning, everyone. So good to be here with you and uh, worship together this morning as a community of followers of Jesus. I wonder this morning, as we begin, has anyone faced any agitation this weekend or this past week? Anybody been agitated lately? Maybe some. Some There's some yeses in the crowd. I, I wonder if anyone is uh, born on February 29th because I suspect that would be very agitating (laughs) to every year watch everyone else have a birthday, but yours only comes once every, what is it, how many years? Four years. It's a leap year, everyone. There's an extra day in February this month. I hope you all enjoy it. (laughs) Oh my, yes. This is the last Week we have with this verse from Psalm one eighteen or one nineteen. Let's say it one last time together. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Psalm 119, 89. We are going through a series of wisdom from the wisdom literature in the Old Testament. And as we've worked through this series together, we've held some reminders and some general outcomes out before us each week. And last week, we started to investigate this book of Proverbs. It's a book that we don't often get into, that we probably, in the course of our lifetime, haven't heard very many sermons in, but it's a strong source of wisdom in the Scriptures. And it's important because in it we can discover a wisdom source and we can find it flowing from a fear of the Lord. And so last week we explored various ways of thinking about the fear of the Lord and then we properly positioned ourselves as children desiring to be willing and eager recipients of the Lord's wisdom. Today we turn our attention to exploring the benefits of of discovering, receiving, and applying wisdom in our lives. What are the benefits of wisdom? And how are those benefits useful for the follower of Jesus today? One of our congregants came in today and offered me a wonderful word of wisdom. He actually offered me the difference between knowledge and wisdom, and I really appreciated it. He said, knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to put it in your fruit salad. (laughs) That That is tremendous. I thought that is absolutely a beautiful take on the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Tremendous. I was thinking uh, about a beautiful lake that I grew up around over the summers. When I was a child, uh, my family would frequently go to Clearfield County to this little area in Clearfield known as Currensville. And in Currensville, there was a dam, and this dam had a lake that was a part of it. And on the summer days when it was warm and the lake would be calm, you'd go out and you could just see the flat water and the sun would just come down out of the sky and just beautifully reflect off the water. And you could see all the trees reflecting in the water and all kinds of beautiful images in the water, calm, peaceful. But then from time to time, there would be agitation, as so happens in our lives. There would be storms. There would be rain. Water could get muddy, The top of the water, when there's storms or when there's disturbances, what happens? It starts to get agitated, a little rough, and the reflection isn't so clear. One of wisdom's many benefits, among others, that we'll explore today, is that wisdom allows us to continue to reflect the glory of God in a clear and brilliant way, even in life's agitations. And we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 2 today. If you want to turn there a while, Proverbs chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 to 11. And before we dive into God's word, let's pray and ask him to uh, watch over our time together this morning. Lord, we are thankful because you are good and you go with us and lord many of us here today whether we're online or in this building have faced agitation in the last week things have come and have unsettled us they've disturbed our hearts disrupted our minds they've slowed the work of our hands they've made uncertain the ways in which we should walk And we're better than to turn into your word. Because, Lord, it's here that we know you're shaping us. You use your word in such powerful ways. You form us into the people that you want us to be when we come together in community and study it as a body. Lord, we know that this is purposeful intentional, communal time together. And that in this space, your spirit is alive. He's active. He's working. Lord, your word is not stale. It's alive. It's active. It works. And so, Lord, as we open these pages today, and as we read from the wisdom literature of Proverbs, Solomon's Compilation of much wisdom. Use it to change us, to move us, to motivate us, to grow us, to form us into the image of your son, Jesus. Might we leave here renewed, refreshed, recharged, and ready for the work that you have for us this week. Help us to grow as we study together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 to 11, this is one complete sentence in the Hebrew literature. Hebrews 2, 1 to 11. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and Raise your voice for understanding. If you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity guarding the paths of justice, watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity. Every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. From the beginning, we are reminded again, as we open chapter 2, of the posture in which we are to receive wisdom. And we reviewed this posture, this childlike faith, last week and shared some qualities, some of which are on the slide before us again today. But one quality of childlike faith that we did not consider last week is that children know that we are a part of a greater community. As children, we hear, we receive, and we learn our earliest instructions from our caregivers, from our parents, our grandparents, our aunts, and uncles, and other family members. We recognize, and we begin to understand from an early age, that we are a very small part of something that is much bigger than ourselves. And like many other qualities of childlike faith, this quality, too, can grow dim as we age, if we fail to keep ourselves anchored to the biblical perspective of community. Friends, childlike faith isn't just for us when we're children. It's for us, for life. And throughout our lives, we are to be in a posture of submission to one another in love. This is a healthy hallmark of Christian community. Are the people of our faith community practicing a willingness to submit to one another in love? Now, we can hear these words, but hearing and receiving words are very, very different, are they not? I heard a lot of the words that my parents said to me when I was a child. I did not receive all of those words as I should have, right? We know the old colloquialism in one ear and, yeah, that happens a lot. And some of the spouses in our congregation said, amen, This is why our author drives deeper into verse 2. Make your ear attentive to wisdom by turning your heart to understanding. Here, the ear and the heart are connected to a proper reception of wisdom. Wisdom, as it goes into the ear of its hearer, must be received and planted in the heart in order for our life to experience true renovation and transformation. We will not change or redirect our foolish ways if wisdom only goes in one ear and out the other. For us to remain in a childlike posture, ready for the reception of wisdom, we must first recognize that we have great need for wisdom. Yes, I need wisdom. In our culture, in our community, in our world today, is there not an ever-present need for wisdom? Here we sit this morning as a small part of a global church that's in need of a great amount of wisdom and discernment to know how to live faithfully as followers of Jesus in our tumultuous world today. As suggested here in the Proverbs it's okay to call out for wisdom, to cry aloud for discernment. This is a regular habit in my life. This maybe should be a regular habit in all of our lives. Lord, I do not understand. Help me. Help me understand. Help me find wisdom. Father, help us to know, help us to see, to experience, to glimpse, and to gaze on your beauty and goodness in the midst of all of this mess and nonsense that we live in, and then help us reflect that beauty and goodness so that those in our communities who don't yet know you, or those in our communities whose lights are growing dim, or those in our communities who have been hurt and let down by Christian communities might see within us and within our community a place to come and to be welcomed and received and restored and refreshed in the ways of the Lord. How good that would be. What if this could become the testimony of CNBC? Wow. Perhaps for some it is. Perhaps for some who sit here today, you say, yes, amen, amen. This is how the Christian communities worked in my life. But still, there are others, are there not? In our communities, there are our neighbors, the people we go to work, we go to school with every day that still need to taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen? Amen? And because of Christ's work in us, we can be active agents reflecting His goodness. And his mercy in our communities, in our humility, with our childlike hearts, we cry aloud for wisdom and discernment. We seek it out like we would seek for water in a dry and desolate place. We search for it like we would search for a buried treasure, knowing that once we find it, it's ours in abundance for eternity, and it must be shared. <clears throat> Finding ourselves in a place of great need with humility, with selflessness, and a childlike faith, the writer describes then that we begin to understand what it means to know God. Verse 5, then, then you will understand how to fear the Lord and you will discover knowledge about God. As we unpacked and we processed this concept of the fear of the Lord last week, I had to go for a walk with Sheila in the afternoon because I I was just wrestling with this concept. And as we were walking, I said, Sheila, I I just, I don't have, I don't have a good way of thinking about this right now. Fear of the Lord. It's just, for some reason, I was unsettled. It was continuing to kind of bounce around like a ping pong ball in my head. Is it this way or is it that way? Wrestling with it more and more and to continue to rehearse and reflect on this concept over the past few weeks, a concept which I'll probably never be able to say, yes, I've arrived. I have a full understanding of it. I don't think I will. But I'd like to put forth a a more simple definition for us to chew on together. The fear of the Lord is living with a constant and growing awareness of God with us. And forming our lives and work. secure in this hostile world is to find ourselves in the constant rehearsal and practice of God's presence with us. We often overlook it and take it for granted. I talk to people, oh, yeah, 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 I know God's with me. (laughs) Can we just pause and think about that? How huge that is. He's not left us. He's not abandoned us. He never will. He he never has. He's with us. His spirit indwells us. He's forming us. He's growing us. He's using his word to guide us and light our ways. We are never alone. I... I can't take that for granted in my life. The days I forget about that, I'm off. I have no strength. I'm trying to white knuckle it, it doesn't work. Man, but when I remember, Lord, you're with me right now. This is really hard, but you are with me right now. What am I missing? Help me see, help me know. I don't know what to say, Lord, this is really hard and confusing. I've never had this situation before in parenting. I've never had this situation before in my marriage. I've never had this situation before in ministry. I feel confused and uncertain and lost, but I know you're right here with me right now and I'm looking for your wisdom. Give me your words. God answers those prayers because he's with us, and he's faithful. Lord, we just want to know how to live in this world in a way that honors you, that magnifies your name, that shines your lights, that invites others to the same life that you've given us. Teach us, Lord. Instruct us. Show us how we can grow a life. How can we grow a life in this space right here that honors you? How can we grow a life in this place where you're establishing our ways and enabling our hands and motivating our hearts and our minds? How can we do this in a way that honors you? Teach us your ways, O Lord. Guide us in your wisdom. Every good way, friends. Every good way is available to us in God's wisdom. Every good way is established by him. Rightness of relationship, justice in the mending of brokenness as a result of sin in the world, and equity in seeing and treating everyone as those who are created in the image of God with inherent dignity and worth and value as God has breathed it into them. This is verse 9, then in verse 10, the writer turns to describe how this biblical, God-honoring ethic and morality will become more and more attractive to those who pursue it. Look at verse 10. For wisdom will enter your heart, and moral knowledge will be attractive to you. Wisdom guides our hearts to be attracted to that which pleases God. And still we might ask, what is attractive to God? And then what should be attractive to us? What should we seek and what should we flee from? How might we know? It seems like our lives require constant inspection. Our own hearts, our own minds, our motives, our ways, our habits. We need constant maintenance and upkeep. We're like old cars. Some of us older than others. Some of us are ready for that antique license plate. (laughs) I heard there's some bonuses that come with that license plate, by the way. (laughs) What can we do? Where can we go? there's a word that Solomon turns to here that's tremendously helpful in our pursuit of true wisdom. It's the word in verse 11, discretion or discernment. Verse 11 then here in chapter 2 serves as a fulcrum. It's the point on which today's chapter pivots, like a teeter-totter pivots on a fulcrum. Verse 11 is the fulcrum Chapter 2. It's functioning as a summary to the content of the first 10 verses by bringing this long sentence to a conclusion, and then it's setting up discretion as the tool which helps the reader and hearer of the proverb discern the way that she or he should go. So let's take a look at verses 11 through 15 using verse 11 as that fulcrum. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. Delivering you from the way of evil from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil. Men whose paths are crooked and uh, who are devious in their ways. Reading this first set of verses, we see God using discernment as a tool that watches over and guards us, even sometimes delivering us. As we will explore further, the writer of Proverbs is going to frequently use men and women throughout the book of Proverbs to personify, compare, and contrast good and evil, wisdom and folly. Verses 11 and 19 are going to give us a very clear example of Solomon's use of the personification of vices. Next week, we're going to further explore an example of Solomon's personification of virtue. But first here, in verses 12 to 15, it's evil men. Then in verses 16 to 19, it is the forbidden woman. Take a look discernment God's tool for wise living helping protect us to grow us in our understanding to deliver us from wickedness helping us refrain from perversity of speech do we hear perverse speech in our world today yeah the word in Hebrew that's used for perversity is the same word that would be used for flipping over a bowl that is filled so go back to that fruit salad at the beginning of the lesson. If someone came to the kitchen table and you had a bowl of fruit salad and they flipped it over, that's perverted. Our minds as New Testament readers, when we read this, should be drawn to the New Testament where the house of God had become a den of thieves. you remember this account? In early in Jesus' ministry, the house of God has become a den of thieves. The people of God had taken God's original intention for the temple, which was so beautiful and so filled up and such a tremendous representation of God's presence with his people. And what had they done to that original intention? Flipped it on its head. So it makes sense then what Jesus does, right? Jesus comes in to a temple that's perverted and he flips over the tables and he's actually taking what the religious leaders had twisted or flipped and making it right by reestablishing it as what God had intended My house shall be called a house of prayer. Don't you love when Jesus does stuff like that? I'm just like, man, Jesus, I love it. That's why I get so excited about the Bible. I watch Jesus do stuff. I'm like, man, that's awesome. Yeah. Man, when we speak and live and celebrate ways That are other than God's ways, as revealed in scriptures, we've perverted God's intended path to pursue our own. Discernment then helps us to see and know how God desires for his people to live and worship him in this world he's planted us in. Discernment keeps us from straying, it keeps us from walking in darkness, from delighting in evil, from practicing which is morally crooked and devious. The writer has more to say about how the tool of discernment can be life-saving, even life-preserving for the wise who choose to utilize it. This time, he's going to show us how discernment can keep us from that which may be tempting, but is forbidden. Look at verses 16 and 19. So, you will be delivered from the forbidden woman. From the adulteress with her smooth words who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death, her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. And as you look at these three verses, we're invited to consider, again, personifying folly, foolishness, Uh, temptation, evil, that which is forbidden as an adulterous woman, someone who's pursuing an immoral relationship through flattering or smooth words. Discernment, then, is a tool that can serve as a red flashing light for both men and women, a pause before pursuit that says, caution, forbidden. All verses, 12 to 19, Filled up with examples of that which is opposed to righteousness, opposed to justice, opposed to equity. These are the antitheses of wisdom, embracing evil and pursuing that which is forbidden. The voice of the serpent in the Garden of Eden gives us insight, right? He does this. First, he perverts God's words. He takes God's words and he turns them upside down. Then, what does he do? He invites even Adam to pursue that which was forbidden. This is how the evil one works. The ways of Satan do both they twist what God has established as right. And they invite us to pursue or to take for ourselves that which God has explicitly forbidden. And look at where this leads us. All of that crumbling, sinking, desperate, impulsive, isolating. We talked about the depth, power of shame forcing us into hiding. It's enslaving, it's oppressive, going after things that God says no to. God uses discernment in our lives to keep us away from the things that are going to rob us of true joy. That which will keep us from knowing and experiencing His goodness, His righteousness, His peace, and His comfort. But, friends, there are good paths available. Look at verses 20 to 22. So, applying wisdom and discernment to our lives, you will walk in the way of the good and keep the paths of the righteous. Where the upright will inhabit the land and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. Wisdom teaches us as children that we're to walk, where we're to walk, how we're to walk. And the pace that we should keep while we're walking. That's the one I need a lot of help with. I don't know about you. I need a lot of help, Lord, with my pace. Sometimes I'm moving way too fast. Most of the time, I'm moving way too fast. And every once in a while, I'm moving way too slow. Lord, I need your help with my pace. I need your wisdom and discernment. This is the Christian life. It is a long walk on good paths, the paths of righteousness. It's the sort of walk that leads us towards relational wholeness when it's within our control. When it's outside of our control and relationships are broken, it leads us on paths of peace, patience, understanding, forgiveness, and mercy. Embracing wisdom's benefits keep us morally upright. The word integrity here means blameless or innocent, living above reproach as in accordance with Jesus' command of love. I mean, watch how Jesus and the New Testament writers echo this concept of the upright inhabiting the land, as it said here, beginning with Jesus' first sermon in Matthew 5, 5, and and then chapter, or verse 10 of the same chapter. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Then in verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Paul He takes this idea of those who are upright remaining and staying and having integrity, being in the land. Paul takes this, and he's writing to a broken and divided house church spread throughout the city of Corinth. He saw the conditions of their relationship, the disintegration of the relational righteousness and integrity in their community. And he reminds them in his first letter to the Corinthians, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Clean up your relationships, people. That's Paul, not me. (laughs) I wouldn't say it that. Paul's good at saying it like that. (laughs) And he does in Corinthians over and over and over again. Clean it up, guys. Wisdom reminds us that as citizens who've been washed in the blood, baptized in the waters, formed in the Word, sanctified and justified in the name of Jesus by the Spirit, our lives should have a certain quality or measure about them that is different from those who have not yet believed. God is interested in our obedience, in our faithfulness, in our conformity to Christ, In the transformation of our minds and the renovation or renewal of our hearts, these things are important to God. They should be important to us. He's excited to watch us be formed more and more into the image of Jesus. He wants us to realize the depth of relationship we can have with Him as in humility we learn of our own inadequacy, our own weakness. And we grow in our dependence of Him. He desires to commune with us through prayer and rest, solitude, meditation, and contemplation. He rejoices when He sees us in the service of those in need. As we've cared for others, we care for Him His word has been given to excite us, to disrupt us, to comfort us, to convict us, to invigorate us, to slow us down, to spark our imagination with wonders and complexities of a God who's given us light and life. And as we partner with and support those who he's called to serve, spread, and share the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth, God is pleased that his people are participating as one body in his commission to go into all the world. The paths of wisdom might look a lot like the paths that our elders and pastors have established here at CNBC. They're simple ways, friends. They're not complex. Pray, study, be together in community, support those God has called, care for one another, worship together, be welcoming and hospitable with one another. Not out of a sense of duty or obligation, but out of the depth of gratitude for all that we've been given in Christ Jesus What an opportunity then in Christian community to give honor and praise and worship as our response to a God who in the sending of his only son Jesus gave sacrificially to free us and save us from sin and death and invite us into a good, secure, and eternal future. Walking this long obedience in the same direction as one author has so adequately summarized it, demonstrates to our Christian community and to the world the transformation that Jesus and the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit has wrought upon our hearts and our minds, our attitudes, our habits, and behaviors. Friends, following Jesus changes us. It changes us desiring to live in his ways, wanting to follow his example, wanting to have his attitudes and his habits and behaviors. It causes us to think and to live differently in this world. And people see because he has effect in and through us. And yes, the days get long and tired. I know some of you came in today. You're like, how you doing? I'm like, I'm okay. I'm okay. 2024 has just started off hard and okay, but good. It's good because God is faithful, and he gives us the endurance. He motivates us to continue. He gives us the energy when life gets hard, when our lamps grow dim, when our when loneliness is heavy, when fog grows thick over the things that were once clear in our lives. God is faithful. He is faithful. And he will be always. Period. Not only are all these things benefits to being a regular participant in a local Christian church, but all these realities can be added into the many benefits of submitting ourselves to God's wisdom. And so as our team comes and we conclude this morning, just a reflection on wisdom's benefits. They're innumerable. And among them include an active and working knowledge of God, A life that grows and flourishes with an ability to discern good, just, and righteous ways of God and the motivation to faithfully endure on these paths for his name's sake. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the wisdom that you give us through it. We thank you for the life that you've given us in your son Jesus. And we thank you for his light that we've been called to take and shine in this world. Lord, we need your help. We need your help to stay humble. We need your help to stay eager. We need your help for the energy and endurance that's required. And so, Lord, we. Call out. And cry aloud and open our ears and ask you to help your wisdom and knowledge not go in one and out the other, but to go in and to implant itself in our hearts so it takes root in our attitudes and behaviors, transforming our minds and causing us to think and live differently in this world. Help us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.